our generation and the generation that's coming is going to really open up the doors of true reconciliation. Just make sure you include the, the local people, the local indigenous communities or nations that are part of that land. That's how you build reconciliation, I believe. You're listening to Think Revelstoke, a show about the future of tourism in Revelstoke and the greatest challenges of today's tourism destinations, along with their most inspiring solutions. We're speaking to you from beautiful Revelstoke, British Columbia, a city on the territory of four nations where we live, work, and adventure. The Sinaiks, the Shwetmak, the Silks, and the Tunaha. I'm Rodney Payne, the CEO at Destination Think. And I'm Robin Goldsmith, Destination and Sustainability Manager at Tourism Revelstoke. As part of this podcast, we're reaching out to industry experts and leaders in other places to hear their perspective on how we can manage tourism for a better future. Today, we're talking about the link between tourism and First Nations culture and have a special guest with us. Frank, could you please introduce yourself and let us know about your role? Sure. Welcome, welcome, pressure, good quest, Hello, everyone. My name is Chief Frank Atkinson, Corner Park First Nations. And uh, what my role is, is to create sustainability and relationships and partnerships in tourism through truth and recon reconciliation. So it's a long life journey. It's a journey that I'll probably do to the day I die. So I'm always looking forward to sharing uh, the information I have and moving it forward. So Frank, we'll start with, a, with an interesting question and something we've been grappling with in the tourism industry is how do we, as tourism industry professionals, invite people to visit land that isn't ours? Just the word tourism we need to change uh, through a consistency because when I look at tourism as a word, it's really an experience when you deal with Indigenous tourism. So taking that Indigenous experience versus Indigenous tourism, and it takes away that uh, outside perspective with um, wanting to learn about Indigenous uh, history. So for me, it's changing the words and how we how we portray uh, that relationship that, that, that you want to talk about today. That's a, that's a great observation is, is sort of dropping the word tourism. Um, and just as a precursor to this whole conversation is um, we're, we're really open and eager to learn um, from your experiences and anything you have to share. So if we're choosing the wrong words or asking anything that, that you think is inappropriate or misguided, please call us on it uh, because we're very eager to learn. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Frank, there's growing consciousness about reconciliation and the impacts of colonialization here in Canada and in other parts of the world. The confirmation of atrocities at the Kamloops Residential School, which is very nearby to you, has been somewhat of a watershed moment. Residential schools were just one way that First Nations culture was suppressed throughout Canada's history. How can we amplify culture through tourism? Uh, again, I guess through me and I see 215, we're just, we're just starting to move to, down, go down that path, working with uh, our local uh, neighbours, and then you look around, you look at provinces, and you look around to the nations. 
how do you build those relationships up? Uh, 215 definitely opened it, opened uh, Canada's eyes and the world's eyes of how Indigenous people have been treated, not only in Canada, but around the world. And uh, we have a long ways to go. And uh, again, taking these baby steps and, and start, you know, Truth and Reconciliation Day, for example, September 30th. I just came from a Whistler Cultural Symposium, and somebody asked me out of that crowd, how can we move forward with Truth and Reconciliation? I said, instead of celebrating it for September 30th, let's do it for the other 364 days. It's not just a one-day thing off for people that, to, to pay uh, tribute to Indigenous people. It's an opportunity to create that educational system within yourself, personally, with your family, uh, and on a professional level. So there's so many avenues that we can take uh, because uh, being Indigenous, uh, we're always open to sitting down and sharing those stories now. And a lot of survivors are starting to share their stories for the first time. And my mom was was uh, one of those survivors. And the first time I've heard her story, and I'm 57 years old, and last year was the first time I heard her story. So there's many more of those uh, opportunities to start listening and learning from the past, moving forward with how we, how we use it today in our educational system and what our future children are going to learn as we move forward as a country. Uh, so have you seen any examples of, of places where, within Canada or elsewhere, really, where um, Indigenous culture is, is really being celebrated and brought to the forefront in a, in a meaningful and powerful way? Yeah, um, from a community perspective, uh, being a chief in my community, we are now using culture as the steering wheel to creating that that absence that's been missing in our, in our lives and our generations before us. Now that to embrace it and move it forward and start being more of a lifestyle than it is more of a one-off kind of thing for us and where we do it. It's four seasons now. It's uh, So we're starting to implement the culture into our everyday uh, work life, whether it's smudging in the morning with our staff or taking them on the land, going out and doing things during a certain time of year uh, where we're including our, our staff who's, you know, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, but learning together. I think that's the purpose. The shame, blame, and guilt are the three things that have had, that has held our people back. And now that we're instilling them in our children, there is no more shame, blame, or guilt. That's breaking that cycle. Let's move forward together. Even though you don't know your language, depending on your 66 or 16, it's a starting point, and we need to have a starting point. And to do that, you have to be inclusive with everybody and making sure that everybody learns together. Frank, one of the things I always find inspiring when I get the chance to talk to you or hear you speak is your willingness to want to move forward and, and do so in an inclusive way. And I, th I think that what you're doing is so powerful and, and you, we have a great deal of responsibility to learn. And your organisation, the Moccasin Trails, is... Uh, really exciting and I'm reading for your website from your website here if you want to learn about indigenous culture where do you go do you search online do you go to a museum do you take a course can you tell us a little bit about what you're aiming to do with moccasin trails well moccasin trails we you know we had to when the pandemic hit um, it definitely changed our mindset of how we want to uh, showcase the culture in a sense of like guests or visitors 
the pandemic hit, 2015 hit, we started realizing our audience is no longer flying in into Canada or driving in from Canada or our neighbors. We also realize it's our local people that are really wanting to learn and are, are wanting to be a part of something. And Moxon Trails gives you that opportunity to team build, whether it's through a business organization or through whatever organization you work with. You can come out and experience that and ask those questions of how we started, why the way we are from Moxon Trails perspective, but also for Indigenous communities wanting to learn more about the tourism industry. So it's kind of like a two-prong approach, I guess, depending on who wants to uh, learn a little bit more. So Moxon Trails has now kind of diverted themselves, not only working with outside guests and visitors, but also working with the locals, but also working with other First Nations communities. Um, so, Frank, we often look to New Zealand as a destination that's doing better than most at celebrating its Modi heritage. Um, but it's it's quite different from here because there's a bit more of a unified culture and and similar language, um, you know, throughout throughout the Modi and throughout both islands. Um, here in Canada, there are many First Nations cultures, and even just within our province, uh, each nation has a different language and culture. In Revelstoke, we're on the land of four different nations um, with diverse cultures and values. Um, so I'm curious if you have any suggestions about how we go about uh, tourism planning in a way that's respectful to the four different cultures that we uh, experience here. Well, it really depends on the travelers. Like they have the uh, FITs, family individual travel. And I'm finding now that you're not getting into those big bus groups. People are coming into the country now or people are just traveling and traveling around the area even though doing their own local tourism stuff, uh, the one thing I really found out when we started traveling around is we just did a tour this last week. We traveled to six different communities, and the topic was about residential schools. And we went, and it was, it was really interesting to hear their perspectives of how these communities actually were, inter how they interacted with the residential school by sending their children to the school, coming home, and then what they did after they came home from residential school, what they experienced through residential school, and what their future looked like. What are they doing now to, to build those to build that history up to, to make the next generation understand what they're going through and what we what cycles they had to break and how they overcome some of that trauma or still living in that trauma. So we went to six different communities and and it was amazing the stories that the elders had to share with you the community, the knowledge keepers had to share with you. So just getting out to those four nations, they're so close to you. Uh, just learning the similarities and the, and, the, and, the and the differences they have just on the land itself. And uh, the, I think where you live in Revelstoke, you appreciate the mountains. It's similar to me when I was just finishing going to Whistler. It has such a unique natural setting and it's quiet. To get those storytellers to tell their stories, even though the cultural piece is pretty straightforward, but when you really want to learn about the dark history of those communities, you're going to have to spend time with them. And that time means going to their community events, attending Truth and Reconciliation, going to Aboriginal Day on June 21st. There's opportunities for every local to be a part of those four nations and how they celebrate it within their own nation. So. That's one of the things I've kind of shared this morning of how do you connect these different ones? 
Bonaparte, we have three. We have the Tatlium, which is the Lilouet Nation, and then the Catlium, which is the Thompson Nation, and the Suatapulu, which is the Shushwap Nation. So we have three nations within within an hour, and how unique we are and what we practice, uh, how we practice our culture on the, uh, on the specific territories that we claim as our territories of our nation. So that answers your question. It, it does, absolutely. I think um, it's really interesting to see that that overlap and, and diversity and, you know, how it's how it continues throughout history. Um, you know, in Revelstoke here, there's there's very little First Nations culture on display. Um, what do you think is an appropriate way for us to begin um, to explore inviting First Nations to uh, help build these tourism experiences and opportunities for visitors to really connect with culture? Uh, there's many different ways. There's definitely a lot of political opportunities uh, for leadership to be involved with some of the development that Revelstoke is wanting to go. Education is another system that you can follow and uh, be a part of and take place. And how can you how can you help incorporate that depending on who you know out there? Because relationships are so important to build those partnerships. And when you go to um, industries, for example, whether mining or tourism, whatever industries out there, is finding uh, those other relationships, how you can tie that in, how you can tie those relationships together. Because I think asking the question or being a part of something is, is bad enough that you, you feel like you're an outsider. But if you have an open mind and you have somebody that you can relate to, and that's probably uh, one of the strengths I have is I can connect people quite easily uh, to the stories is because I have similar, they have similar backgrounds. It's not just Indigenous people that suffered in Canada. We're a multicultural country. And I really, you know, when I've traveled around the world and came home, I felt very appreciative to be home because I could see the different cultures that are that are combined here in Canada. And uh, Indigenous uh, history for us is probably a history that's just been put on the shelf. And now we're taking that book off the shelf and starting to use it in a way that we're learning uh, the true history, but also learning from it and moving forward with it. Frank, that's really terrific advice. I'm going to ask you to peer into your crystal ball and think about Revelstoke in 2073, 50 years from now. Given some of the things we've talked about, what would you love for that to look like? In 2050, um, unity. Uh, we call it Kanukan Quat of Kanukan Youth. And it's a word that's been passed on from generation to generation. It means helping one another. But before you can help one another, you got to help yourself. I mean, take care of yourself. Self-care, eating healthy, sleeping, all those fun things. So we live a healthy life. Because if you have that, you have a greater opportunity to, to go out and venture and be a part of. The biggest part for me in 50 years from now is that we have our natural resources still intact, that we slow down on a lot of uh, development within our own territory and how we can share that uh, with the next generation to come. Thank you, Frank. I think that's terrific advice for us as we move forward. Thank you. It's very, I'm very honored to be a part of uh, you wanting to learn. I think your, our generation and the generation that's coming is going to really open up the doors of true reconciliation through tourism based on the relationships I had. I, I um, uh, Walt Judas, for example, the Taya BC's uh, CEO. I had uh, Paula Amos, who's 
uh, one of the leaders in Indigenous tourism BC this morning, and also had uh, Richard Porges, Porges, who was who's the CEO of Destination BC, and I got them to stand up this morning together. And when they talk about truth and reconciliation, that we can sing a song together, we can drum together. They were drummers, I was the singer, but just having them drum together and to protect uh, the females in the world, the Mother Earth, I call it, uh, the one that's going to keep growing our, our, our people and who's going to take care of our people and, and to making sure that we take the next steps forward and seeing the two warriors and Mother Earth standing together uh, it would really touch them because it really made them understand that they're no longer sitting in the crowd. Like I had pulled them from the crowd and made them get up and drum. And they're, you could tell they were nervous because they didn't expect that to happen for them. But for me, I seen us building those relationships up. And I, I really look forward to the next even five years, what tourism is going to be. Regenerative tourism, the biosphere, biosphere sustainability tourism, all are new words. But in the bottom end of it, it always comes back to our, our simple way of living. It's taking care of the land, the animals, and the people. That's just the way our, our system has been followed for generations. And I'm really seeing that, that conservation. I'm starting to see that preservation from tourism. And I'm really thankful that we live in a country where we have more land than people. Because I've traveled the world and there's more people than land in other places, especially in Europe. And I'm really starting to see. Um, the true leaders come up and they're starting to get younger uh, for that purpose, just like yourselves. You guys may not think you're young people, but you are. You're leading the way by asking those questions. How can we help? How can we move forward together? And like I say, I really appreciate the time that you want to spend with me to make sure that uh, I can always come back and give you uh, updates on how we move forward as Indigenous people and how we can make sure that we're a part of the, the solution and that we walk together and not walk in front of one another or behind each other. So that's really important to me when we move forward in the next, uh, I guess, 50 years. Thanks, Frank. That's, um, that's really valuable and, and really, I'm, it's uplifting. I'm, I'm glad to hear, uh, you know, the positive tone in your voice as we, as we work together towards a brighter future. Uh, I agree that there's a lot of opportunity for the tourism industry to, um, to do good and to do good for our people and our planet. So um, I know we need um, our indigenous, uh, indigenous cultural values when we do that. So I really appreciate your lens uh, on this discussion today. Oh, great. Thank you. Just to add that one last note, somebody asked me about how can the ski industry uh, be part of truth and reconciliation? And I can't remember the lady that asked me that. And I, I kind of snickered and I said, you know what? I said, you guys ever heard of Frank Hutzoss? You can sprinkle that stuff on everything, right? Well, indigenous tourism, you can sprinkle that on every piece of the tourism industry, whether it's a ski hill, mountain bike, um, snow snowshoeing, dog sledding. Uh, it's all about the land. And there's nothing about the people that are on the land. How can we share our stories with all these recreational activities, how can we tie in the cultural pieces? And it's very simple. We have four seasons. I was telling us, it's not only during the ski season that we can partake with you, but during off-season, the mountain biking and the, and the hiking and the hikes up there. So it's all land-based, I told her. I said, that has nothing to do with 
what industry is up in that part of the land. Just make sure you include the, the local people, the local Indigenous communities or nations that are part of that land. That's how you build reconciliation, I told them. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remember the France hot sauce metaphor from you for sure. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, thank you very much for allowing me to share my thoughts. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm definitely walking away with the metaphor of, of Frank's hot sauce being sprinkled all over everything. Um, but I, I think he's right as, you know, t taking, trying to incorporate Indigenous values and culture into everything that we do um, and not putting it in a silo and assuming that there are places where we should incorporate uh, cultural elements and places where it's not appropriate. Um, so I, I think that's really valuable to reflect on, you know, everything that we're doing. I think the word unity is really powerful. And like I said, I'm always so humbled by how willing to forgive many First Nations people are and how there's often such a focus on moving forward. I don't know if I'm big enough a person to act in the same way, if the same things would have happened to my predecessors and my living family and I think you know there's some very tangible advice Frank gave us that isn't high level planning advice it's more about a series of small steps that we can start taking right now as you know the you as the entity responsible for tourism but as an industry and a community and it doesn't need to be complicated right there's there's probably some really small steps that we can begin sooner rather than later. I think uh, he started so powerfully just by saying we need to ditch the word tourism um, and, and speaking about experiences. And I think that's a, a really neat lens shift because we talk about tourism and we think of industry and, and that's really tied to economic value. And I think you know, when we in the industry think about tourism, when we think about the value it has outside of the economy, we think about that experiential value and how transformative that is. Um, and I think moving away from the word tourism really reflects that value that is um, above and beyond just the dollars that, that come from visitors. We've always been really big on experience delivery at Think because it can do so much to build a brand. And applying the word experience to a broad context that includes the resident experience as well as the visitor experience is very interesting for this planning work we're doing. You know, if we're in the experience business, that applies to both visitors and residents. Yeah, absolutely. One thing unrelated to that is... Uh, I knew Frank would do this, and, I, and I've noticed this, um, is that we talk about the Kamloops Residential School uh, discovery, uh, which gained news traction worldwide. Uh, and when you hear most First Nations people in this area talk about it, they talk about the 215. Um, and you heard Frank referring to it repeatedly as the 215, not the, the Kamloops incident or um, anything like that. And it's really centering, I think, you know, that, that there were children discovered there. And I think that's, um, I appreciate that, 
that language that um, they're really centralizing that experience as the 215. From a really practical standpoint, it occurred to me in this conversation that we have a real responsibility to go out to the First Nations and, and own us to go and learn and connect and, and build relationships. And maybe that can even flow into a tourism experience for visitors, right? Um, that, that people come here and we think beyond just our own valley for different experiences that people can have when they're staying in Revelstoke. Right, and I think that's a reflection of, of the culture itself, which uh, for a lot of the nations uh, in this area, there's a lot of movement um, following rivers and um, moving throughout to follow resources. So, you know, if you're encouraging visitors to move around and to experience uh, the First Nations culture in different places, it's really reflective of the, of the broader experience. This has been Think Revelstoke, presented by Tourism Revelstoke and Destination Think. Our hosts are Robin Goldsmith and Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. Our show comes from the beautiful city of Revelstoke, British Columbia, Canada, located on the land of the Sinaixt, the Shwepmek, the Silks, and the Tinaha. Next time, we'll speak with writer and climate reporter Alex Steffen. See you then.